Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us online again today. The title of this morning's message is Work Matters. Work Matters. And we're going to be looking together at a little bit of Ephesians 4 and a bit of Ephesians 6. So you could start to turn in your Bible there. But I'd like to begin with a question. Do you ever find it hard to envision how the work that you do each day relates to your faith in Jesus? Have you ever woken up on a Monday morning or ground to a halt on a Thursday afternoon and just wondered to yourself, does what I'm doing even matter? Is God at all interested in my work? For many of us, it's easy to just look at our jobs as something we do, a way to make a living and get by. But it's hard to see how it all connects with following Jesus. And the virus, I think, has perhaps highlighted this for us more than ever. Once upon a time, our day-to-day work was interspersed with going to church on Sundays and meeting to pray and serve and fellowship with other Christians throughout the week in the evenings. Our work was held together by the glue of Christian events around it. So it was easier to feel like we were still living a distinctly Christian life. But take away a good chunk of that regular church life and it can feel like all we do is work. And hardly any of that work seems to connect to Jesus. I wonder if that rings true at all for you, whether you can relate to that kind of thinking. Here's the thing though. That's not how God views our work at all. And it's not how he wants us to view it either. And that's what we're going to explore together this morning. Let me just say uh, right up front that we're not going to touch on every aspect of work today. There is so much that the Bible has to say to us about work, Uh, so much encouragement and help for us in our daily work. But we just don't have time to cover it all in 25 minutes or so this morning. So I won't be, for instance, saying anything specific about our witness at work this morning. That's a topic for a whole other day, although I do think that grasping what we're going to see today has the potential to really transform our witness in our work as a result. But this morning I want to keep a real narrow focus and simply look at the fact that work itself matters. That our daily work, whatever it might be, matters greatly to God and it should matter greatly to us too. To help us do that, we're going to look at these two particular passages in Ephesians that specifically address the topic of work. But first of all, let me just set a little bit of a context. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul unfolds for his readers the grand narrative of God's plan of salvation for all of his creation. And at the centre of his eternal plan is is this plan to redeem a people for himself. In chapter one, he tells us that before the foundation of the world, God graciously chose us in Christ for a restored relationship with him. In chapter 2, he explains how the salvation that we've received is solely by grace and not by works, but that through Christ we have been recreated for good works, works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So we're not saved by works, but saved for good works so that all that we now do 
displays God's plan for the renewal of his creation. It's epic stuff. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul pivots to practical application with these words. Verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And he then, as you probably know, devotes the entire second half of the letter to explaining just what it means to live out our calling as God's people in the many different spheres of daily life. And in two places in particular, he addresses the way we work. The first is in chapter 4, verse 28. The second is in chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. So let's read both of them now. Chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Now, if we had to sum up the message of these two passages in just two words, here's what I think we would write. Work matters. Work matters. But to break it down a little further, Paul is saying that work matters for two reasons, for two Ps. First of all, work matters because of the purpose we work for. And second, work matters because of the person we work for. The purpose and the person. The purpose we work for and the person we work for. And I believe that, that taking these two Ps into our working life each day has the potential to really transform the way that we view our work. So let's look at each of these in turn. First of all, the purpose we work for. Chapter 4, verse 28. Here in chapter 4, Paul is explaining the profound change that ought to be evident in the life of every Christian as we strive to put off the old self and put on the new. He's explaining really what godliness looks like in practice. And beginning in verse 25, he explains that Christian godliness includes being a truth teller, having wholesome talk, showing compassion and kindness, and, and perhaps this might surprise us, doing work. According to Paul, work is a vital aspect of godly living. Now, it's true that he does make special reference here to those who, before they became Christians, were thieves. And I'm sure we all know that stealing is one of the things that certainly we ought to be putting off in order to live upright and godly lives. But what's interesting is that the opposite of stealing, according to verse 28, isn't just not stealing. The opposite of stealing is work. So Paul is calling his Christian readers to put off stealing and to put on work. Now the Bible, of course, actually has a really positive view of work right from the start. 
Work was originally created by God to be a positive good, a reflection of our being made in his image. God is a God who works, who creates and sustains and provides. And he made human beings to work alongside him and under him, stewarding the world that he had made. Now, obviously the fall led to God putting a curse on our work for the present time, so that it now comes with difficulties and frustration and pain. One day that will all be put right. But in the meantime, the view of work that God calls us to have is still a largely positive one. Work is valuable and work is good. It is a gift from God, even amidst the thorns and the thistles that accompany it for the time being. The Bible commends work. More than that, the particular kind of work that Paul is commending here is hard work. That word labour speaks of working to the point of weariness, which means that whatever our work might be, whether it's manual labour, office work, keeping a home, volunteering, studying at school, caring for a relative, whatever it is, God calls us to work with diligent effort. That's the first thing that we find here in this verse. But there's more. The reason Paul gives for why we should work hard, why we should labour, is not merely because God says so. No, we're to pursue this particular aspect of godly living for the good of our neighbour. We're to work hard for the good of others. And this plays out in two ways in this verse. First of all, in the words, doing honest work with his own hands. Honest here means firstly work that is morally upright. So not stealing, selling drugs or swindling old ladies out of their savings. But also not fiddling our tax returns, settling for shoddy workmanship or stealing time from our employers. Now that's all part of what Paul means by honest work. But the Greek word for honest here could also be more literally translated as to the good. To the good. It's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 6.10 when he writes, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So here in Ephesians 4, Paul is calling on his readers to do their daily work, whatever it might be, not ultimately for themselves, but for the good of others. And this really points us right back to God's original design for work, that it would be a contribution to the good of all, that work would be a mission of service to something beyond ourselves, rather than just a means to our own advancement and profit. To put it another way, God created work not to be self-serving, but others-serving. Now, oftentimes, I think certainly we can find it easier to think of how some jobs do this than others. You know, doctors, teachers, charity workers, sure. But in fact, practically every honest vocation plays a part in doing good to others. From the street sweeper who keeps the roads clean for everyone, to the doctor who cares for the sick. From the supermarket worker who provides thousands of people in their community with a way to feed their families. To the banker who protects people's investments. From the mother who nurtures and cares for their children. 
to the web developer who's constantly improving people's ability to access information and services. From the retiree who gives what energy they still have to caring for family and neighbours. To the gardener that cultivates beauty for other people to enjoy. Even to the sewage worker who provides whole communities with ways to dispose of their sewage. What an important job that is so that people's homes can be clean and pleasant places to live. And so on and so on and so on. Whatever your work, there is almost certainly some way that it serves and blesses other people. And that's not to mention the numerous opportunities that we have to actually do our work in a way that blesses the people we work with, our work colleagues or our families. God created us to work for the good of others. And knowing that that is the purpose behind all of our work lends all of our work great dignity. We are partners with God in his providential rule over the world. God cares for, feeds, clothes, shelters and supports the human race through our hard, honest and good labour. As Tim Keller writes, when we work, we are, as those in the Lutheran tradition often put it, the fingers of God, the agents of his providential love for others. This understanding elevates the purpose of work from making a living to loving our neighbour and at the same time releases us from the crushing burden of working primarily to prove ourselves. That last part is so true. Thinking of work as primarily being a means of self-fulfillment will slowly crush us. But recognising that God has made us to work for the good of others and not ourselves is truly liberating. Perhaps recently, You've been particularly feeling worn down or disappointed in your daily work. Whether you're a teacher, an actuary, a nurse, a bank manager, a student, a checkout assistant, a cleaner, a full-time mum, a pastor. Perhaps we don't find our work nearly as rewarding or enriching or as easy right now as we hoped that we would. Honestly, some of that is down to the fall and it's not what work will one, one day be when Jesus returns. But it's also worth stopping if that's how we've been feeling recently, feeling right now about the work that we do. It's worth stopping and asking ourselves, could part of my current apathy and disappointment in my work stem from the fact that I've largely been viewing it as something that ought to reward and do good to me, rather than seeing it as one of the main arenas into which God has called me to spend myself wholeheartedly for the good of others. Every honest work and role in life is designed by God to be done for the good of our neighbour. But there's another way that our work, especially paid work, uh, we've been talking about much more than paid work so far, but there, there's, a, there's a way in which particularly paid work can also enable us to do good to our neighbour and that is by giving us resources verse 28 to share with anyone in need financial generosity is to be part and parcel of every christian's working life particularly where we, we ourselves are being paid for our work 
We're to work hard, Paul says, in order to have something to share with other people who are in physical or spiritual needs. Excuse me. Siri's talking to me. I love how John Wesley puts it. Work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. Or as John Piper writes, there are really, there are really three options regarding work. You can steal to get, you can work to get for yourself, or you can work to get in order to give. Paul, he says, is obviously commending the third option, to work, to get, in order to give. Beyond meeting our own basic needs, we gain in order to give. So the overall message of Ephesians 4.28 then is that the purpose of our work is to do good to others. First, through what our work itself accomplishes, and second, by what our work enables us to pass on to others who are in need. Doing good to others is the primary purpose of all our work. And it is a noble purpose indeed, helping us to fulfil the second of Jesus's two greatest commandments, to love our neighbour as ourself. That is what we are a part of. That is what we're doing every day that we work. But Ephesians also has something to say about the person we work for. We've seen the purpose for the good of others, but it also, Paul also has something to say about the person we work for. And this too promises to revolutionise the way that we think about our work. So let's have a look at this. Second heading of this morning, the person we work for, chapter 6, um, verses 5 to 8. Now in these verses... Paul, you'll have noticed, is specifically addressing bondservants or slaves and their masters. Now, we haven't got time this morning, unfortunately, to go into detail about the exact nature of slavery in, in the first century Roman Empire. Suffice it to say, on the one hand, there were some key differences between the system of slavery in Paul's day and the slavery that we more readily think of uh, that took place here in the 17th and 18th centuries. There were some important differences, but there were also some troubling similarities. Nothing that Paul says here in any way condones slavery, but it's also not his intent here to attack and condemn it. His main aim here is to change the way that Christian servants, bond servants, think about their work. And the principles Paul lays out for them are very much applicable to us in our work lives today too. Here is what Paul wants them and us to understand. That in becoming followers of Christ, though what we do for work may not change at all, might be doing the same thing that we did perhaps before we became a Christian. We don't go out and get particularly Christian jobs necessarily, not most of us. Though our work may not change at all, the significance of our work has been radically transformed. And all because of who we now serve. We have a new master. And this new master's name is mentioned in every one of these four verses uh, that we're looking at in chapter 6. Obey your earthly masters, Paul said, says, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. 
rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. It's a clear and repeated message. All of our labour is now ultimately for Jesus. Teacher, tailor, coal miner, sailor, whatever sphere of work we find ourselves in, all of our work now finds a whole new level of dignity and purpose as work done in his service. And the fact that it's all for him now means, Paul tells us, that we should begin to work in a whole new manner. So let's ask the question, in what kind of manner, with what kind of heart, should we engage in our daily work as Christians? Paul mentions at least three ways, three characteristics of those who do their everyday work in the service of Jesus. First of all, we're to work respectfully. Verse five, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. The first thing we see is that having Jesus now as our true master doesn't mean that we suddenly rebel against our human bosses. We shouldn't be in any way saying, oh, I don't need to listen to you anymore, Mr. Manager. From now on, I only take orders from Jesus. No, on the contrary, verse 5 calls us to show them, show our earthly masters, our bosses, our employers, obedience and respect. Whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, friendly or unfriendly, kind or coarse. Whether we personally like them or not, or get on well with them or not, we're to respect them and obey them to follow their directions. And not through gritted teeth either, but with, Paul says, a sincere heart. We're to genuinely respect their authority over us and sincerely commit to doing what they ask of us. Assuming, of course, it doesn't contradict our primary allegiance to Jesus. Now here's, I think, how some of us, at least on the inside, might be tempted to respond. Ah, you haven't met my boss. How could anyone respect and submit to him or her? He's lazy, he's rude, and he's incompetent in his work. It's just not possible to serve a boss like that with a sincere and respectful heart. Here's how Paul would answer us. Knowing who you're really serving is precisely what makes it possible to respect and obey your boss. Perhaps no one else in the office respects them, but you can and you should with sincerity because you know that in serving them, you're actually rendering reverent obedience to your true master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remembering who we really serve should lead us to work and obey respectfully. Secondly, knowing that we're ultimately working for Jesus should lead us, Paul tells us, to work wholeheartedly. This is verses six and seven. Beginning in verse six, he says we're to obey, but not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Now, performing eye service and being a people pleaser means changing the way that we work, depending on whether we're being watched. And it can play out in two ways. It might be that we only get down to work when our boss is in the room and watching over us. But the moment he's not there, we're 
checking our social media, bidding for things on eBay, having extended conversations around the office kettle or watching sports on our phones. Only when our bosses reappear do we quickly pull up a spreadsheet, busy ourselves around a patient, reopen our textbook or come out of hiding and get back to work on the shop floor. And the temptation to only work for the sake of eye service has surely only increased with for many of us now we're having many of us to work from home. It's now even easier for work days to start later and finish earlier and to be interspersed with all manner of non-work things because our boss can't see what we're doing. That's one kind of eye service and people pleasing that's not compatible with working as servants of Christ. The other kind The other kind of eye service and people pleasing is found in our working especially hard all the time to deliberately catch our boss's eye and win their approval. And perhaps for some of us, this is the greater temptation. The lure of promotions and pay rises, of getting a pat on the back and being preferred over our colleagues. Or maybe if you're a mother or a retiree at home, this plays out in your house having to be not just clean and tidy, but show home perfect all the time so that you can post pictures of it on Instagram and catch the eye of your friends and neighbours as they pass by in the street. I think it can be harder to spot this one in ourselves too because we tell ourselves God wants us to work hard, which he does, but he cares even more about our motivation. God loves work done for him and for the good of our neighbour but not work done for ourselves, for selfish reasons, because we crave money or we want people's approval. Instead, Paul says we're to work, the six and seven, as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Our commitment to work, Paul says, is to be wholehearted, not lazy, not half-hearted or distracted. We're to render service with a good will, which means we're to serve others with benevolent enthusiasm, not reluctantly with grumbling and griping and complaints. And we're to do all of this, not for the approval of men, but as to the Lord for Jesus. John Stock writes, our great need is the clear-sightedness to see Jesus Christ and to set him before us. It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it, or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were to be the honoured guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and and nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books and secretaries to type letters as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. I love this quote. It is possible to do every task, whatever it is, for Jesus, as if he himself were in the room to receive it. But only if we have the clear sightedness to see him, John Stott says, as we go about our day. Only if we keep setting him before us in our work, reminding ourselves that we really do have the mighty joy and privilege of serving him wholeheartedly again every day.
Thirdly and finally, knowing that we're ultimately serving Jesus should lead us to work expectantly. Verse 8. Almost everyone hopes to get some kind of reward from their work, whether by the end of the day or the end of the month or the end of their careers. And Paul says that Christians too should be motivated in their work by the promise of rewards, but not the temporary and fleeting rewards that everyone else around us is working so hard to pursue. Things like bigger paychecks and nicer cars and flashier homes and a millionaire's retirement, none of which they can take with them when they're gone. No, our wholehearted work for the Lord is to be motivated by the expectation of something much more valuable. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Here is God's promise, that whatever good any of us does in our work, and again the emphasis is on working not for ourselves, but as we've seen in these two passages this morning, for the good of others and as a servant of Christ. Whatever good we do in our work, be we a butcher, a baker or a candlestick maker, this we will receive back from the Lord. Much of the effort that we put into our work might go unnoticed by the people that we're serving, especially if we're no longer trying to impress them and get their attention. But nothing escapes our heavenly master's gaze. He notices the good deeds of each and every believer so that not a single one of us will miss out on being rewarded for every good that we have done. And this, this is more and more remarkable the more you think about it. We, are, we have been saved by grace and grace alone. In no way are we saved by works. But we have been saved for good works, to do good works in our daily work. And then amazingly, God promises to reward us for the works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. What a generous master and saviour and king we serve. When, and when we really grasp this promise, this gospel hope, we'll find a source of motivation in our work far more long-lasting and compelling than any fixation on promotions and pay rises and people-pleasing could ever bring. There is power in this promise. And throughout these five verses that we've looked at this morning, these two passages, power to propel us along a lifetime of wholehearted, people-loving, Christ-honouring service for the Lord in all the work that he has so graciously called us to do. Let's pray.